Hi, this is Chris Voss here from thechrisvossshow.com, thechrisvossshow.com. Hey, we're coming in here with another great podcast. We certainly appreciate you guys tuning in. You guys are always the best audience. Be sure to refer the show to your friends, neighbors, relatives. Tell them to subscribe at iTunes, Google Play. You can now see the show on iHeartRadio, and you can also go to Spotify. Wow, Spotify, that's the radio. You got the Metallica, the Lawrence Welk, and you got the Chris Voss Show right there. Hubba hubba. Also, tell them to go to YouTube.com for just Chris Voss. This is the big season. Did that bell notification on YouTube because we're doing all the reviews of all the great presents you can give people. And after Christmas, you can figure out whether you want to turn those because you can see their views on the Chris Voss show. You can also, of course, see our anticipated coverage of CES 2019 coming down the pike. We're starting to get the crazy deliveries of all the crazy products, and you want to subscribe for that as well. We just got like this giant chessboard uh, that moves the things around the chess pieces, and we also we also just got a window cleaner in that moves around the window and cleans it. It's like the suction thing that attaches the thing. So uh, anyway, we've got a wonderful guest as always. Uh, our guest today is Lee Or Gantz. Lee Or, how are you doing? I'm doing very well. Thank you for having me. Thanks for being on the show. Uh, give us a rundown of who you are. Um, well, I'm a, I'm a full-time investor and entrepreneur, uh, 34 years old, and I uh, got into uh, business very early on. Uh, didn't call it business back then. Called it more like uh, surviving um, because uh, when I when I started the accumulating money it was when I was 13 um, don't know if you know my story but uh, if, if, uh, if you want the full-blown it's um, my father went bankrupt when I was 13 now, I didn't know that the business was even struggling because we lived in a good neighborhood but uh, apparently uh, it was and um, this was right at the age where you want to, to do stuff, right? 13, you want to date girls, you want to want a bike, you want this, you want that. And, uh, and I was uh, frustrated. So I I was a meter 49, which is like 4'11", very short guy. Uh, not like now, I'm, I'm like better, 6'2". Uh, so, but back then, really short, short guy, 13 years old. And um, I went to a clothing store next to my house. And started hanging around for like two hours a day there, Chris, and mm -hmm. learning all about the brands. So just learn about the brands. And then about two weeks later, I'm, I'm like telling the owners, like a family-oriented thing, why don't you hire me? I can sell. I can sell the, the brands. I, I, I went home every day. I like learned everything about these brands. Um, and, and this was hard. This was before internet. So um, like we're talking 1997. Uh, so where I lived, there was no internet. And I uh, like you know, researching this and, and books and all that kind of stuff. Anyways, I come in to the store uh, like two weeks into it and uh, I, I help him upsell this customer, like real real uh, upseller. And, and he says, you're hired, four bucks an hour. And that was like the beginning of my uh, accumulation period. But uh, it gave me a lot of confidence, Chris. So I, I took the first two weeks of pay and I, um, I printed out these flyers and handed up ended them out in the neighborhood for babysitting services and it's like I became a big babysitter in my neighborhood and uh, I upsold all the parents uh, that had boys to so I can teach them basketball because I was playing basketball and by age 16 I, I uh, accumulated like 20 grand in today's money and today's uh, uh, dollars 
And my banker said, if you get a waiver from your parents, you can start investing this money in your, your own account as a minor. Uh, and this was three months after the dot-com bubble burst. So in hindsight, a very good time to get involved in the stock market. Obviously, when I, when I uh, got involved, I didn't know that. Uh, but I did know there was a, a people were making a lot of money because the babysitter that I was, uh, uh, the kid that I was babysitting was an only child. I come to his house one day and his father is on CNN, sold his company for like $4.5 And there were two partners, each got like 700 mil. So I didn't know something was epic going on. Um, but anyways, that's how I got started. And um, my father then went on to, to have two other bankruptcies, but, but I think it really helped me in terms of one, starting to look at money very early on. So I had that advantage just of years, right? Um, I, I really started uh, early and it really helped me to get motivated to learn much more than he did, to learn from mistakes. And all of my big learning curves happened uh, through you know, using my father's mistakes. So it was really helpful to not have catastrophe in my own life, personal catastrophe. I learned from my dad's catastrophe, or, or I should say our family's catastrophes, but um, uh, and, and started focusing on location-independent businesses, so businesses you can run online, uh, sort of like uh, you know what, what you have right now with yourself. And um, that's it. We're 18 years uh, after that, uh, and um, three years ago, Started Wealth Research Group, which is the uh, the free financial newsletter. It was ranked number one in the world in 2017 uh, because we were lucky enough to uh, profile Bitcoin at $400 for for the readers. It's it's a free newsletter, but uh, we do we do both stuff. We oh, I I I, I really want to have people understand what I'm researching, so the big picture. But I also, if I like something, um, and I'm um, and I did my research on it, I'll publish that research. So we were the first newsletter in the world, for example, to be on Ethereum at $12, and six months later it was over 1000 So that was like a 90-time, 90 90-fold 90 return. Um, and it, uh, uh, it, it's a good newsletter. That's awesome, man. That's awesome. I, You know, I, you, you ended up with a better area of, uh, of uh, rebound out of the Black Friday 1987, I think it was. Uh, Black Monday, Black Friday. And then it, getting old. It, it, Monday, uh, October 87. I was actually studying at that time to be a stockbroker. And okay. uh, I was I was being paid, my license schooling was being paid for by a small brokerage, you know, back then. They have, you know, you have these little brokerages and, you know, you, you'd go work for them and pound the phones. And uh, so I was going to school for that during the, uh, during that time. And it sounds cracked. like the Wolf of Wall Street. Yeah, it was, it was a little Wolf of Wall Street. Yeah, yeah. I remember, I remember the stockbroker guy who hired me. He was, he was one of those Wolf of Wall Street type guys. Okay. He was one of those guys where every time you left his presence, you check your pants for your wallet and stuff. Yeah, yeah was, I, I was, I was three years old in 1987 when, when that happened. But I, I do remember, uh, I do remember 2008 very vividly because what uh, happened? The 2008 one, yeah. Yeah, I was in Colorado. And um, I, I went on a four-day rafting trip. No signal, no nothing. And this is exactly at the Lehman uh, moment. So oh. I'm, I'm getting out of, the, uh, of the, the Green River in Colorado, which is like the extension of the, the Colorado River. 
and uh, I opened my cell phone. It's like 150 messages and, and crazy. Like, uh, you know, what are you doing? Where are you? And and uh, it really helped me though put things in perspective. I was like, okay, why why is Intel down 30 percent? Are people not buying chips anymore for, for the computers? Well, so it really helped me to sift between companies that really had a problem and companies that people had margin calls on and they just needed to sell everything. Yeah. And um, uh, it, it also helped me to get into real estate in 2009, which was a huge um, contrarian move because everyone was like leaving and I was entering. Um, and uh, yeah, so it, it's, it's, it, it helps to put things in perspective when, when you're not part of the madness, the initial madness. And you're like, okay, what, what happened? I, I was just rafting for four days. <laughs> that's a that's a tough four days. It seems to me that like anything anytime happens is usually when I start going on a trip. Like I'll 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 drive from Vegas to California and I'll get no more than half an hour to an hour down the road and then some clients on you know got some their their website or some sort of problem is on fire and I'm like, Oh god, I just <laughs> <laughs> it's like that. you know. It's like I can sit around here all day long. No one calls. You, everyone's fine. All the all the plates are spinning. Everyone, the wheels are working. But as soon as I go on vacation or go to leave town, it's like pants on fire time and stuff's burning down. But that's awesome. You learn from it. Here in Las Vegas, uh, I witnessed firsthand the uh, crash of the oh, real yeah. economy. I came down here. We actually sold my home, and I got really lucky because I got caught without a home. Um, but I, I sold my home in Utah and moved down here with three, two other investors to invest in real estate because it was rocking. So I came down here and met with several real estate agent um, heads. And one of the gals from Caldwell Banker, she she knew why this was happening and what was going on with the inventory and, and the effect that 2001, the uh, 9-11 towers coming down had had on the, on the market and that the inventory was starting to catch up to demand and thereby the prices would would either flatten out or bubble would pop and i was like this bubble's gonna pop and she's like yeah it's that's that's where it's at and uh i'm like holy crap so we decided not to invest that time and and yeah you could buy houses here for like thirty thousand dollars eighteen thousand uh, dollars uh it was I remember those days. there was there was even a law firm here that uh, made a killing off of it that figured out they could do foreclosures off of um, the um, the what do they call them the HUDs the homeowners association uh, here in Las Vegas everything's a homeowners association and they technically have first placement on the deed they don't really have first placement on the deed but they really do so uh, pay your homeowners fees the the homeowners can can foreclose on your home even though the bank has the first note. Mm. Um, and so all these homes were just sitting empty and these homeowner associations going bankrupt. So they're just like, we'll sell these off to the, to the lawyer firm and the lawyer firm, basically how they worked when they went into foreclosure, they wiped the deeds because they went into foreclosure. They wiped the, the other debts. And because of some obscure law, they were able to get away with wiping the first and second, <laughs> That's a loophole on the property. The banks were pissed. <laughs> yeah, I, I remember. Um, so in 2009, what, what, what I did is I learned that there's about 2 million vacant homes in America. 
Um, but but they're vacant for various reasons. So sometimes people inherit a house, they live halfway around the, the United States, and they never get around to it. The house starts growing, you know, uh, a bush, and then the garden is untaken care of, and it, it just looks bad. But there's no for sale sign anywhere. It's not on for sale by owner. It's not on the MLS. It's nothing. It just sits there vacant. Um, and so what I did is I, I built in 2009. I built a teams in five cities that just scour the streets and find vacant house, vacant houses. And what you do is you get the address. And this I I, I actually wrote about this like a, a, a special report. If you go to wealthresearchgroup.com forward slash real estate. You can actually download the entire system. I built that business for five years in five major cities and sold it in 2013 uh, when the, the, in the in, when the the market sort of became better um, and so my niche became um, less important. But anyways, so you get the address. Once you have the address, you you go to the assessor and you find out who owns the house. Now, once you know who owns the house, you can you can find out how to contact them. If he if he's moved somewhere else, um, you can you can do there's services that you can do to find him, um, or you can mail him. Um, now they forward the mail to the new address. So whatever you do, you market to that guy and you say, hey, uh, this house is vacant. I, I know you own it. You can even look at what he owes, if he has equity in it or not, and and then you can strike a deal with him. And what I did was I struck a deal with people, uh, and, and then. You can instead of instead of closing on that property myself, renovating it, doing all the work. You can simply assign that purchase contract within your time period to a legitimate uh, fixer-upper. So you just sell your rights to 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 close on the property to another person. Uh, people buy these uh, assignments for three, four, five thousand dollars, and you can do that uh, all day long. So if you have the right team and people scouring the streets, and you have the system to find everything. I automated a lot of it, and you know it became a real big business. That is awesome, dude. You would have loved it here in Las Vegas. I took I was in Las Vegas. properties uh, for my real estate friends in Manhattan yeah. during the during the blow up, and I lived up in the northwest part of Las Vegas, which was the newest area that had been built. Yeah, yeah. Right? Boom, and I would literally go out my door and stand on my street. And you could hear what sounded like crickets chirping up and down the street. And it was all fire alarms that batteries had finally gone bad. Sure. No sure. homes. Yeah. And there was a person living in about every third home on my street. There's like, we have a street like, I don't know, 50 people or something, 50 homes or something like that. <laughs> like there's like 10 people living in the street. Yeah. Those houses are, are less, uh, they don't work for that niche because they're upside down, so they have no equity. Even if you contact the person, he says, I, I can't do anything. I need go to go and speak with the bank. Yeah. Uh, and that niche uh, became what's called short sale, mm-hmm. where you work with the bank to, to try and uh, get the, the property uh, for a price lower than what's owed to them. So they needed to take a big haircut, and that's a whole different uh, department, but I'm glad to see America is not struggling in that way uh, anymore. They they have uh, many new struggles, many new challenges. Um, some say even bigger challenges than than uh, back then. But um, uh, it's the, the market is definitely not as distressed. But next time it is, uh, you know, it, it again, it, it's the time to really get aggressive on business and on opportunities. Uh, the, the best times is really when everything is distressed. 
So when you guys, you guys have wealthresearchgroup.com and on there you give wealth, investment advice, what to do with you, the marketplace. What do you think about went on today? Because today, uh, the recording of this video, we should say is at 12, 20, 2018. Uh, we lost, I think, almost 700 points today on the stock market. And this week has lost over 1,400 points. And I so, think that is showing yeah. a clear bear market beginning. What do you, so, what do you think of what's going on this week? And or what's just going on in, in the, the recent months of what, what the future is going to be? Sure. So I think, um, well, you know, I've, I've, since I started investing in, in the year 2000, um, I've developed the uh, the mentality of looking at the U.S. stock market. Uh, uh, you can consider it like a yo-yo goes that goes up and down. Somebody plays with a yo-yo, so you look at the ups and downs. But if you zoom out, that guy is on an escalator and he's going up. So in the big picture, the U.S. stock market, corporate America. Uh, grows at about 10% a year. It's a machine. It's a machine that, that uh, is able to survive low interest rates, high interest rates, social unrest, uh, a, a Democrat president, a Republican president, an oil shock, a world war, whatever we had in the 20th century, it, it survives this. Um, and it's just because of the talent and entrepreneurship of CEOs, management, just Americans, America. Um, but it, it does it does uh, come to a halt. You know, uh, escalators need maintenance. They need some stuff repaired. Uh, you know, I don't know if you if you ever been to a mall and, and like the the entire uh, rid the grid of the escalators exploded and there's somebody down there fixing it and they're telling you to take the stairs in the meantime. But it happens. Like uh, these things need maintenance. Um, and so people focus too much on the yo-yo, on the ups and downs of everyday um, events, but in the big picture, uh, the, the best companies in the world are headquartered in the States, um, and they might do business worldwide, but they, they're headquarters in the States, and the U.S. stock market is a very, um, a very good source of wealth over time, over a 20 to 30-year period, and not a one-month period uh, or, or something like that. So it's very hard to become an investor with uh, the madness of markets in terms of short term, so I'm very, I am very long term oriented uh, investor, um, yep. and then and, and what I think um, so in terms of what's going on right now, uh, there's two ways to look at it, um, and what's beautiful is you don't have to worry about if you're right or not on on these two ways. You can invest in the same way um, regardless. So one way to look at it, Chris, is that the FANG stocks and cryptocurrencies were the equivalent of the dot com bubble last year. So euphoria happened in 2017. We saw something that never happened before. The S&P 500 gained every single month, closed higher every single month for 12 trade months. That has never happened before on very low volatility. Um, coupled with that, you saw something that doesn't make any, any sense at all, right? The cryptocurrencies went up to unimaginable prices, projects that have nothing. They real, literally have nothing. Uh, became valued hundreds of millions of dollars and billions of dollars. Um, not talking about the legitimate ones. I'm talking about the 1,500 other ones, uh, other altcoins uh, that are on the market. And it just seemed like every doesn't matter what the news cycle was, stocks and cryptocurrencies were going up. Uh, but that came to a stop at the, at the beginning of the year. And but but people were still in the bubble mentality. So the, the the denial was there, so they didn't sell. They didn't sell, and now everything is coming into 
um, the realization that we have problems in the economy, and you're already seeing FANG stocks down 20%, 25 30%. Um, you see cryptocurrencies down 80 to 90%. Most of them are, are uh, you know, zeroed out, so they're not even they're delisted, delisted from uh, the blockchain, and, and that is one way to look at it. That we're already in a bear market, and you can, or, or a sideways market, doesn't matter. Uh, but you, you can't expect price appreciation on on the stock market in the next three, four, five years in, in a major way. And this is one way to look at where we are right now. The other way to look at it is to compare it to 1997 or 1998, where you saw years with 13% or 15% corrections and then 15% rallies. And you just four or five rallies and corrections in one year, like a roller coaster, and then a last rock that, that took us into 2000. And that is uh, what we might be in right now, uh, this correction phase. And we might be churning for like three or four or five months and then having a, a really huge relief rally, uh, for example, with the catalyst of the United States and China announcing a trade deal or something that really releases a lot of the tension that is in the markets. Mm -hmm. So we are either in a, bit, a very steep correction that's going to be like you know, 13, 15, 70%, whatever. It's, it's going to take us down a few more percentage points, then we'll find a bottom and then we'll rally. Um, or we're already in the bear market. Regardless, we're very late in the cycle. Uh, this is a bull market that has been going on for many, many years. Now, the reason I said it doesn't matter is because if, if you um, uh, think about stocks and what they are, that they're partial ownership in businesses, that you, when you become a shareholder of a company, you basically own a piece of the business, then you really need to think about these businesses that have been around for 40, 50, 70 years, 100 years, they're not going away because China and, and the United States are now negotiating trade deals. Uh, people are not buying less of, uh, you know, less toilet paper because uh, Trump is not agreeing with President Xi. So, you know, for example, Kimberly Clark, just to give you like, people an idea, because that's a company everybody knows, or Starbucks, it doesn't sell less coffee because of what's going on. So you need to really differentiate between stock market action and the fundamentals. And if you can do that, then you can find bargains. It would be the same as your neighbor selling his house now for 30 grand less than you think it's worth just because he needs the money tomorrow. And you're like, okay, I'm not gonna, because he does it, I'm not gonna sell my house for 30 grand less. So if he's, if he's working in an irrational way, it doesn't mean that I have to do the same thing. So that's where I think we're at. We're, we're at a point where people are realizing that there's uh, a, a problem, there's fear in the marketplace, but whether or not it's justified for each and every stock, that's the real question. That's what an investor needs to find out if he wants to um, uh, beat the markets, beat the index. He needs to make sure that he finds companies that are going down for no fundamental reason, but just because people are fearful and they're selling many stocks in their portfolio broadly. Just cashing up, so and and that's what we obviously that's what I focus on uh, also in the newsletter uh, and in Wealth Research Group. So um, that's where I think we're at, Chris, and it can get a lot worse uh, before it gets better because the the Fed is tightening its monetary policy. So not only is it draining liquidity from the markets uh, from the bond markets, it's also raising interest rates. And when you raise interest rates, 
what happens is the incentive to uh, move some of your money from stocks to bonds gets b bigger because the yield on bonds is uh, more attractive than the dividend on expensive stocks. Um, when when uh, prices go up for for companies, for the S&P 500, for the Nasdaq, etc., the yield that the company pays, that companies pay in, in, in general, is lower. And so as stocks get more expensive, bonds get more attractive. And if you couple that with raising rates on bonds, so raising the yield, it, it becomes almost uh, at par with each other. So you see a lot of investors moving from stocks to bonds because of the yield. And that is something that's, that goes on right now. There's a big outflow from clients that are taking money from stocks and moving it to bonds. And that can continue if the Fed continues to raise rates. And uh, it can continue if America continues to antagonize with its lenders. So what's, a, what's unique about the United States is 40% of the deficit is funded by other countries. So every time you fire a gun, uh, every time you, you ignite a tank and you start, you know, or, or uh, an F-16 goes up in the air, or you pay a Social Security uh, payment for, for a retiree or whatever else you do, 40% of it, that's funded by China and uh, Japan and other countries. And so when, when a, a presidency or an administration antagonizes that, it creates a situation where they're, they're uh, thinking twice before they come to the auction and buy our bonds, and uh, especially at low rates. So this is a situation that is changing very fast, and it's, it's, it's a new situation because for the past 36 years, the bonds have been going down in rates, and, and other countries have uh, still come to the auctions and bought them. And now it looks like it's changing. And I, that is the biggest change in the economy, in the big picture. If you want the big picture, it's foreign countries that are de-dollarizing. They're moving away from the dollar, and they're looking to build a different sort of system for international settlement. And that's something that can really hurt any American. It doesn't matter if he's rich, poor, middle class, etc. Because it's, it's uh, something that can make the dollar go down by about 25%. So a quarter of the purchasing power can go down in the next four to five years. And I wrote about all of this. If you, you, know, if you really uh, want to, if you're an avid reader and you want to go into this in depth, if you go to wealthresearchgroup.com forward slash crash, forward slash portfolio, or forward slash top, you can really access these exclusive reports uh, because I know your audience is very sophisticated. I watched many of your shows and I know that they, uh, that in one, interview you can't get into everything but i'm very bearish on the dollar very bearish yeah i mean russia pulled out a lot of money in the dollar uh it was said that they did it mostly so that they could they could move their money into offshore banks and different banks that could keep from getting seized by the u.s government or censured by the u.s government <clears throat> but they did pull a lot out and do some and heady stuff. I mean, China owns a lot of our debt. Uh, so what you guys do at wealthresearchgroup.com is you guys do these reports, do these advisements, help people decide what they want to do, help guide people on on what the best investments are to place and all that good stuff. I well, it's yes and no. So so okay. the, the wealth research group was founded three years ago. 
uh, as a as a labor of love, basically. Uh, you know, for for many years investing for myself, I've had people around me asking me, "Hey, what do you you know what are you investing in right now, etc." Just on a friendly basis. And then in 2013, when I sold the uh, the real estate business, I I opened a boutique fund for very well-to-do people. It was a, a very short list of people, clients, and uh, but wealthy individuals. And so in 2015, I really wanted to shift my focus and say, look, I want to reach a, a bigger audience that doesn't have a threshold. I, that, that, that I don't need to manage their money. I, I want to share the research with them. And that's how the free newsletter came about uh, and trying to share what's going on in my personal life in terms of uh, just in general and entrepreneurship and also in investing. So the newsletter is my way of transferring whatever I'm researching myself um, to the audience, to, to the readers. So and, and that's the best way to put it. And then on top of the newsletter, I really like to publish exclusive PDF reports that you can find on the website um, because I'm passionate about education. I think education is the plague of our society because everything can be fixed with the proper education. And I think people spend so much time uh, absorbing information that is irrelevant to them, doesn't make them happy, but just um, uh, make sure that, that they don't think, um, you know, deep. Uh, they're just uh, uh, entertained, but, the, but they never get, they race in circles their entire lives. And I really hope that with uh, Wealth Research Group that the information that we give is actionable, uh, that you can do uh, something with it and, and um, do more due diligence once you get the information and become uh, a person of value, an investor, a saver, somebody who, who gets out of debt, that gets ahead of, in his business or is in, or in um, his place of work. And uh, that is what uh, we provide. We provide value by way of, uh, by way of research and, and sharing what I do. And if it's valuable, obviously you can emulate it, copy it, uh, and take it, make it your own for your own life. Um, so that's the newsletter. That's what we do. It's big picture, but it's also, um, you know, if, if I find attractive opportunities that I like and I invest in myself, then uh, I share them as well. And, and we've had uh, in 2016, for example, when, when gold was very strong and the miners were very strong, we covered 12 companies that more than doubled in price in, in eight months. Wow. Uh, some of them went up 400%. As I told you, we were very early on Bitcoin, 400 or Ethereum, $12. Um, I actually was very early on Monero uh, that went up to like $400 and, and we covered it at $19. Um, so yeah, that, that's, that's what I like. I like to marry value investing, so long-term brands uh, that everybody knows and I like them when they're very cheap and I also like cutting edge, like blockchain tech, um, the commodity sector, which I like because it's very cyclical and the cannabis legalization because I feel like that is something that where people do not understand how legitimate that industry is going to become. Um, and so that, that is sort of the wealth research. If you go to the website, if you go to the homepage and you subscribe, you'll start getting the newsletter and then you'll get a better idea of um, how this, this you know, plays into your life and how it becomes part of, the, uh, uh, of your reading uh, material. That's awesome, man. And it looks like you guys, uh, what's kind of interesting about this whole thing with what's going on with the market right now is you guys have done several guidance and different calls on 
different uh, cryptocurrencies. Like you guys called out, like you mentioned earlier, uh, Ethereum in March of 2017. You guys covered it. Uh, it was at $12 at the time. It's rallied 8,573% uh, by September that year. Uh -huh. Uh, you guys called out the rally of Ripple XRP cryptocurrency and yeah, through the hour. I'm not uh, through the hour. It was a very interesting story. I didn't know this. I released I released the report at 27 cents. An hour later, un I didn't know this. Bloomberg adds Ripple to their terminal. The price goes ten times fold in one month. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't know. I didn't know Bloomer was going to add it. I knew that, that Ripple was becoming very legitimate, but boom! It, it just it was uh, a you know a combination of luck and in uh, a bull market and just uh, doing research, I guess. One of my friends is Michael Arrington. He has a uh, I think he still has it a hundred million dollar fund in Ripple and XRP. Yeah, it's uh I don't know how it's doing now. I think I think there's been you know there's this whole correction going on with cryptocurrency. Yeah, it's down. It, Ripple's down on like ninety percent. Yeah, so. it's it's a huge hit. And then my other friend Brock Pierce, who sits on the Bitcoin Foundation, um, uh, you know he's he. I remember, geez, was it 2014, 2013 when I friended him, uh, and I was at a seminar or something. He came and talked about Bitcoin and just a brilliant mind on on what Bitcoin was and. And uh, the interesting time in cryptocurrency, but what's, what I'm getting to is, I guess, crypto in the last few days since the 15th has increased about 800 to uh, $800 to $900. And in fact, it went up today. So there are people that are moving out of the stock market and moving it into crypto, evidently. I think um, there, there's a big, big uh, event that is coming uh, January 24th. Um, the New York Stock Exchange owner, a company called International Exchange, uh, International Exchange Inc., uh, the ticker is ICE. Uh, they own the New York Stock Exchange. They're the largest um, operator of exchanges in the world. They're launching uh, a custodian service called Bucked. It's the biggest uh, event in cryptocurrencies because a custodian services uh, is basically what allows institutions to uh, uh, become... Um, investors in cryptocurrencies. So a hedge fund that manages billions of dollars, it cannot buy Bitcoin outright. It, 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 it has to have like a third party that stores the assets. So when you go on your Fidelity account and you buy a certain stock, um, it, it, uh, Fidelity has a sub-broker, their own sub-broker that actually uh, holds this in custodian for you. And before Bucked, uh, there, there was none. So institutional investors could really not become really big participants in crypto. And and so when this launches uh, January 24th, and we're talking the owner of the New York Stock Exchange, this is not a small company that is going to run this. This is the biggest in the world. Um, it's going to be a very big event for cryptocurrencies. And this is a done deal. It's, they're going to launch. They're going to go live on, on January 24th. Now, just like I know, that cryptocurrencies have bear markets that take it down by 85 to 95%, so do all the billionaire hedge funds. And so when they saw the price going up to 20 grand and then starts to crash, they didn't buy the dip at 15,000, they didn't buy the dip in 10,000, and they didn't buy the dip at 6,000. They waited until it's very, very cheap and very natural for the, these markets to go down by 90%. And I think 
if you see institutional investors going in and buying as the buck uh, goes live, then this sector is going to turn around for sure. If not, it can weather away and, and uh, you know, become something that's uh, um, on the sidelines, on the fringes, not something that's very uh, important uh, on the global scale, just, just like gold is, right? Gold is owned by less than 1% of the population. We talk a lot about gold, but less than 1 in 100 people own it. So uh, it can become something like, like that, where it's, it's, I'm not talking about something that's very on the fringes, but it's not, it's not, it's not going to change the world as some of the crypto enthusiasts say. So we'll see. It's, uh, this is like three weeks away, and uh, we're going to see what it does. We're so going to cover that. What are you seeing in the next year? Do you see us moving into a heavy recession? What do, what do you see going on? There's a, lot, there's a lot of political forces that are going on with the marketplace. We could see a presidency unravel. Uh, we could see the more impact of more tariffs uh, next year. Um, and the continuing the continuing impact of tariffs. Uh, certainly, GM gave guidance and warned in June or July that the tariffs might cause layoffs, and they had a huge amount of layoffs recently. Um, there, there's a lot of political unrest that that we could be heading into in the next year or two. On top of, you know, just a reset with the uh, Federal Reserve continuing to increase uh, interest rates to cool the inflationary market. I mean, we have more jobs right now than we have people to fill them. So. Sure. Um, you know, what, what do you see coming for the next, say, year in the future? So I think, I think in terms of a recession uh, in 2019, I, I, I do not think so. So uh, th there are many indicators that are uh, still very positive, many problems, right? But, but a recession itself uh, is unlikely in, in 2019. Um, we shall see, right? But uh, a slowdown, sure. Uh, the economy is going to slow down because tax, the tax cut stimulus for corporations is, is withering away. Uh, it's becoming less important, and it's also becoming baked into the into the pricing of uh, these companies. So, uh, a slowdown for sure. But I think, in terms of uh, in, in terms of uh, 2020, uh, a recession is almost certain. So, uh, when you have such low unemployment as we do right now. 3.8%, 3.7%, the, uh, the road from here on is up. Uh, the road is for more people to be unemployed. Uh, companies, when they reach a point where they're hiring, 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 and not only hiring, but raising wages, at some point, that's it. That's all the company can absorb without uh, it disrupting its margins and its profits. And when CEOs sees that their margins and profits are being shrunk, the first thing they do is start laying off people because that's uh, a very fixed cost and they just start telling uh, their, their other employees that they're going to have more responsibilities. So uh, you are going to see the unemployment starting to go up back towards the 4 to 5 to 6%. And that's when recessions start. When you have rising unemployment um, in, in the United States, that's when historically uh, the United States has started to, to go into recession. And the reason I say that the market could have a last hurrah is because uh, um, usually the stock market goes into bear markets or a very severe decline only after the recession has already started. So usually the turn of events is the Fed raises rates disproportionately, messes it up. Um, people say deliberately or undeliberately, it doesn't matter. It, they, they mismanage the tightening cycle. 
the economy starts to go into recession, the stock market goes down, and that's the chain of events. So where we are right now is the, the everyone's worried about mismanaging the tightening cycle, and that's where we are. Ne next comes the recession, next comes the stock market crash, and usually that's the way it, it, it goes. And, and I think what's very interesting, Chris, is this is all going to unfold right as we go into election year. So that is something that's important to understand. Now, a split Congress, uh, like a Republican president with a, uh, with a um, Democratic House, people think it's bad. It's usually not bad. It usually means that a lot of things are going to get done because the Republicans, neither the Republicans or the Democrats want to uh, be the, the, uh, the scorn, right? They, they don't want to be the one that is projected to be the one that's causing trouble. So many things do get done when there's a split um, Congress and, and, and presidency. So you, you will see a lot of new initiatives going into 2019, and I think uh, the markets will be surprised by a lot of these uh, problems that we have that will probably get solved. And so a lot of relief rally is going to be in there. Companies, CEOs are, are continuing to buy back stock in billions of dollars. Yeah. We just had the, the, the most, um, the biggest year of buybacks ever. And that is not uh, going to stop, especially now when, when the, the stocks that are buying are even cheaper because of this direction. So it actually makes more sense right now to buy back stock. In fact, even Warren Buffett is buying back his own stock. Yeah. Uh, right now. The, what was it? One trillion was bought back since the, uh, since the uh, uh, changes to the fees for corporations and stuff. Sure. And, and just so people understand why, why CEOs buy back their own stock. Um, if you and I own a company 50, 50 um, and the company is worth $1 million and we take the profits of the company and, and I take my share and I say, let me buy, uh, let me buy some of your stock. And I, I reduce the share count instead of having 1 million shares that all are worth $1 because our company is worth 1 million. Uh, we buy back a hundred thousand shares. So now the company is worth 1 million but we have 900,000 shares, so each share is worth $1.1. So we just added 10% to our share price by buying back some of the, of the count. Uh, it also helps all of the existing shareholders to get a bigger dividend. And it's, it, it's tax-free, right? You're getting a, div a bigger dividend and you did nothing towards getting a bigger dividend. So um, that's why a lot of companies do that. But a lot of CEOs are also stuck. They have a lot of cash. The company is very profitable, but they don't see opportunities um, in, in the stock market uh, when it was very expensive. So they, they're basically absorbing stock, absorbing stock, absorbing stock. And then once they have uh, a market crash, they're going to be able to absorb uh, their competition that, that is not as strong as they are. So that's another reason that we see a lot of buybacks, and it's not going to stop in 2019. So when you have such a big demand already in the marketplace for stocks, uh, it's very easy to have these rally uh, rallies of relief whenever good news is released uh, by politicians, by central banks, etc. So uh, that's why I say people are waiting for this financial reset, uh, another 2008, and it may not come. Uh, and, and so if you're uh, if you like me, you like dancing on graves uh, when, when things are very cheap. That may not happen. And so you need to really uh, become more flexible on the type of discounts that you look for. And you may not be able to buy stuff at 20 cents on the dollar like you did in, 20, in 2008,
but you could buy them at 60 cents on the dollar, and that's really not a bad deal. Um, if you go to wealthresearchgroup.com forward slash portfolio, you can actually see what I'm doing with, uh, uh, with my own money, and we are going to cover new opportunities as soon as January, especially in the gold, in the gold sector that is now erupting, as you can see, it's already at 1260. Um, and, and when we, when we called the bottom for it in August, it was at 1180. So we are seeing a very good gold market right now. I think the really build, uh, big uh, bull market for gold will only happen when rates are cut. So when the, the Federal Reserve moves back to cutting rates, I think that's the end for the, for the, uh, for the general equities, the S&P 500, the NASDAQ, and the beginning of a commodities bull market. Um, but I, I, I do like to make sure that I have some of the positions in advance and I'm willing to sit and wait because uh, the, pricing, the prices are very cheap right now. Some of these gold miners, uh, 11 out of 12 gold mining companies or silver mining companies have gone down to 52-week lows or all-time lows in September. So that's how bad the sentiment is for hard assets, commodities, um, because they're, they're very inversely correlated with the general markets. Whenever the NASDAQ and biotechnology and all that sexy sectors go up, hard assets go down. Uh, severely and definitely with tariffs uh, they go down even further so that's what that that's another big thing for 2019 it's going to be an interesting ride one way or another uh sure. you know you give me uh pause to think about one thing i uh, we've seen recessions where we go through market corrections up down um uh, uh what's interesting about what will happen in the next year or two is like you say companies have a lot more cash with the yeah. tax breaks they've been given and so they'll be able to buy back stocks and and kind of pad themselves a little bit more in recessionary times um, I, I'm sure layoffs will, will continue you know to, to increase if we go through a correction but uh, they'll be able to kind of pad their stock prices with being able to do their own buybacks so that that would be sure. kind of interesting uh, to see how we go through this um, uh, trough if there is one it seems like yeah. the beginning of one but uh, how deep it goes is anyone's guess and if you can figure out how deep it's going to be you'll be probably a trillionaire <laughs> you know um, something that's very interesting Chris fundamentally like demographic wise the United States is in a very good situation um, from from the year 2000 to about 2016 there were more people exiting the workforce than getting in the baby boomers were retiring, retiring, putting a lot of deflationary power powers on everything, selling stocks, selling their real estate holdings, moving from giant houses to small apartments, and putting a lot of pressure on the economy. Also, they all, all of them had homes, they had cars, they had those, they had those cell phones, they did less traveling, less, less vacations. So the, the consumption economy in the U.S. from 2000 to 2016 was very weak in general. Now... The, the millennials have eclipsed the size of baby boomers, and this generation does not have cars, does not have homes, has not hit its peak um, uh, earning years, it's not started to go on vacations. So there's a big spurt of growth that's going to come in from these 83 million people, a quarter of the United States, less than a quarter, but a little bit less than a quarter, 24%, doesn't matter. This is a huge demographic group that is only beginning to get better jobs because they're inheriting the jobs that the baby boomers are 
moving away from because they're retiring. Um, they're going to uh, have, uh, uh, they're going to start taking down their debt levels, student debt levels, and that will mean that they can qualify for mortgages. That will mean that they can get into homes, construction, obviously being the America's number one uh, industry throughout its 250-year uh, history. And so, you know, in, in the next few years, we will see a lot of good fundamental reasons for America to grow. On the flip side of that, unintended, I'm sorry, unfunded liabilities are at a point where they're unpayable. You cannot pay Social Security, Medicare, and Medicaid with regular money. It's all going to be funny money. In other words, it's all going to be deficit spending, and it's all going to be uh, new debt that, that, that pays out uh, uh, these unintended, uh, unfunded liabilities. And so if no politician will come to the table and say, hey, guys, we need to cut this. We need to trim this. We need to, uh, we need to change the retirement age to 75 you know, unless people do very eccentric things, which I don't see politicians do, because it's the it's the good thing to do, right? It's the it's the hard thing to do. Um, then you are going to see a lot of inflation in the economy, um, and so I think uh, the next decade is going to be very unique because it's it's going to have good growth, but also inflation, um, and and it's going to have a generational divide between the boomers who are going to say, hey, we were promised this, we were promised this, we were promised this all along, we want our money. And the millennials that are going to say, hey, they're causing a lot of uh, problems to us, to our generation. And this is going to be very much uh, one of the key points in American politics. And the second key point that's going to happen in, in American politics is, is what's called the wealth gap. So the last 10 years, you know, when... When you see in the mainstream media, when you see people saying, hey, there's a recovery, there's a recovery, the rich have recovered in 2011. They, they, they're they richer than post-recession back in 2011. They're much richer than, than, than uh, pre-Lehman uh, right now. They've been recovering for years because they own equities, they own stocks, they own real estate, they own businesses. So they, they, uh, the strategies and policies of the Federal Reserve has really helped them. But for the average person, no change at all. Stagnant wages, you know, zero uh, savings rates, um, and, and no real way of of um, taking money from your salary and and enriching yourself in other ways. So you see a really big wealth gap in the United States, where if you take a cut of one thousand people, Chris, the the person who's richest owns more money than the bottom nine hundred people put together. When you have a situation like that in a democracy in, in, in the United States, that is something that's very detrimental. You can already see the lashing out in France with the yellow vests, and in Europe you've seen it for years. But if uh, this can really come to the United States, this can really be a big issue, wealth gap um, and, and, and opportunity gap. People to think that, hey, no matter how good I work in my job, my wage is not going to go up because I'm going to get either outsourced or my job is going to get automated, or they're going to have one people do the job of two, etc. So people are very frustrated with that, uh, and that's going to be a big thing going forward. And that's and that's some really great insight, Ben, you've given there. This is all the more reason people should subscribe to your articles, and they should go to your website and check it out and subscribe. Uh, wealthresearchgroup.com. 
is uh, is Leo's website. Uh, you can take and uh, subscribe there, uh, and that's pretty much where they need to contact you, right? Yeah, it is. best way is to follow the newsletter. Definitely, definitely, and get those market insights and, and stuff. You've given us some great stuff. <laughs> we could probably talk all day on this at this point. <laughs> but uh, anything else more you want us to know as we wrap up our show? Um, you know, uh, for for people who are just getting started in investing, um, it's it's important to say, and you know this better than anyone else, investing is a profession. Uh, though you don't go to college for four years and get a degree, right? But you don't get a degree for real estate as well. And 76% of America's millionaires are, are real estate people. So there are professions that are making a lot of money, but they're not, you know, these uh, standardized cookie cutter uh, zero training and I think that it's important to really understand it's a profession um, so if, what I'd like to share is if you go to wealthresearchgroup.com forward slash rich books these are the books that really helped me personally and there's a list of them over there and summarized and obviously you can you can get the, the real copies the real books which I highly recommend I still read them periodically myself um, and I think that is what Really, I, I'd love for more people to do to educate themselves through podcasts like like yours, Chris, and everything you do on on, uh, on your channels and, and worldwide. This this is what people need. They need education and not um, indoctrination, like like uh, and fitting into other people's uh, plans in life, right? Because that's all the mainstream media does. It puts you into uh, a, a path in life where you enrich the people that are richer. Uh, you go out every day, you commute to work, you pay oil, that's going to like 20 families. And then you consume uh, uh, food, going to 20 families. The, the way people live enriches a very small amount of people. And you really need to educate yourself on how to escape this little system that they've built over centuries. Most definitely, most definitely. So everyone out is go check out his website and all the good stuff. Do you want to take and subscribe? I appreciate you being on the show. Uh, be sure to go to youtube.com forward slash Chris Voss portion and, and hit that bell notification button. We've got the uh, Siberian Husky pop barking in the background. You can take and check her out, all of her videos as well. Be sure to check out our coverage of CES 2019. Just yesterday we had the CEO of CS show CTA uh, Gary Shapiro who is on so you can check out that we got an interview on him and what the future is of technology and what's going down at the CS show so it's pretty exciting what we're going to be doing our coverage there we'll be doing live interviews and coverage on the show uh, be sure to go to iTunes Google Play go to Spotify iHeartRadio and all the different places the Chris Voss show podcast is distributed and sent out we certainly appreciate everyone for tuning in and we'll see you guys next time